Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. God is love, and the holiness of God both stem from this doctrine. Both stem from the fact that God is Trinity. God can be love because there's Father, Son, Spirit existing in eternal community together. God is love, and all love proceeds from that triune fellowship, and I would venture to argue, as as others have argued before me, that this is the quintessence, the essence of what God's holiness is. It's the holy, devoted love between the members of the Trinity. Now, fast forward in time, and one of those persons, God the Son, became a human, not the Father, not the Spirit, The son became a human, lived a perfect life, died his righteous death instead of sinners, instead of us who would repent and trust in him. And on the night that he was betrayed, hours before he's arrested, hours before he dies, he prayed an extensive prayer in front of his disciples. This is God the son praying to God the father. In John 17. And he says, Holy Father, the holiness of God, the love of God, triune relationships. Holy Father, keep them, my people, in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world, see the distinction here, that we, God's people, would be within the triune community, with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, so that the world... Those who do not know Christ, those who do not know God, may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, in oneness, so that, again, the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Holiness, love, oneness is the bedrock, the dominating desire of Jesus in that prayer for his people, his prayer for the church. Now you might be wondering, what in the world is Sam talking about? Why is he going to John 17 when we are in 1 Corinthians 12? Well, I would venture to say that Jesus's prayer there in John 17 is exactly what ought to be playing out when it comes to our spiritual gifts. That's what ought to be happening when it comes to the use of our spiritual gifts. And the Corinthian church was a complete mess in this regard. A complete disaster in this regard. So we're going to learn first, verses 1 to 6, we're going to learn that the spiritual gifts are primarily triune. They come from fellowship with the triune God. We learn secondly that spiritual gifts are various. They're varied in their types. That's verses 7 to 10. And then thirdly, we learn that spiritual gifts are all about oneness. All about that holy, sacred love and oneness within the Trinity. 
already, doesn't that sort of break so many things we typically think when it comes to spiritual gifts? Let's dig in and let's enjoy together. Spiritual gifts are triune, verses 1 to 6. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. What is he saying about the Corinthians? Currently, they are ignorant. They're behaving as they are ignorant. Now, something that I want to tell you right out of the gates. We're going to be in this section of Paul's letter for several weeks. I don't know, maybe, I don't think months, but weeks to be sure. Chapters 12, 13, and 14. One of the most outrageous, sad facts of the American church and globally in a lot of places is that you have churches who are seeking to copy what's going on at the church in Corinth. When the church in Corinth is awfully unhealthy. There are entire denominations, entire movements that seek to replicate what they read about in Corinthians, not realizing that Paul is addressing very unhealthy habits, very unhealthy practices, many, if not all those practices coming from their pagan background. And they've repurposed paganism with a Christian name. And you'd be surprised just how many of those practices are commonly talked about in Christian circles today because we see them in the church of Corinth. Verse 2, you know, see, you're ignorant about all the spiritual gift stuff, but you know this, you know that when you were pagans, you were being led astray to the mute idols, however you were led Dead humans worship dead idols. Dead to God, dead in self-satisfying sin. He's saying you're acting like you were before Christ. Self-gratifying, self-exalting, self-promoting. That's how you're treating these spiritual gifts. You need to knock it off. Has anyone in this room read Lord of the Flies? Did you guys read that in school by any chance? Okay, Seeing a lot more nodding heads than I actually thought. Now, how do those kids, how do those boys that are shipwrecked and and deserted on the the island, or plane wrecked, deserted on the island, how do they live? They live like absolute savages, don't they? They end up worshipping a make-believe beast, a figment of their own imaginations, and they go to town killing each other. Absolute barbarism. That's how you lived before Christ. You were just aimless. You were dead to God. You you did whatever came in your body as a desire, whatever came into your mind as a thought, whatever. You just did whatever you felt like doing, Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 2. But, but Paul is not suggesting that these mute idols are just idols. You remember, he's already told us that behind these fake idols, yes, the idol is fake, but behind the fake idols are actual beings that are presenting themselves for worship. We would call them demons. Scripture calls them demons. But he says false gods, Zeus, uh, Jupiter, uh, Molech, Baal, the, the gods of, of Egypt, the gods of Greece, the gods of Rome, the gods of Mesopotamia, they're actually demons. They really exist. They're not non-beings. They are actual beings. They're false gods in that they're not the one true God, but they're nonetheless real beings being worshipped by men. Now, by the way, Lord of the Flies... That title is a direct translation of Beelzebub, and that's on purpose. Most people don't know that, but the idea is this is how people live if they follow Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. Now, Paul's point is this. Stop being stupid on spiritual matters. These are really important. Stop living like mindless pagans. 
Don't keep babbling like you've been. You've been doing this babble language. Stop the babbling like the heathens do in their demonic trance as they empty out their minds. No, worship of God is mindful. We love God with our mind. We love one another with our mind. We don't give ourselves over to a hypnotic fit and, and, and relinquish ourselves in feelings. That's not the way that God's people worship. That's how you worshiped when you were pagans. And I'm writing to correct that. Verse 3, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. He cuts a sharp divide. He's wanting us to understand exactly what's going on. Spirits, and I'll say this really slowly, Spirits are behind all human worship. Spirits, actual spirits, are behind influencing. I don't know exactly how it works, but spirits are involved with and influencing all human worship, godly or not. All human worship is spiritual, not just the human spirit. There are other spirits that are influencing worship. Now, looking back at verse 1, Paul actually doesn't say the words technically spiritual gifts. That's an interpretation on our part. He simply says spirituals. And we're supposed to imply there anything spiritually related. Spiritual matters, spiritual issues. We interpret this to mean spiritual gifts because that becomes the focal point of spiritual activity in the discussion which follows. Now, the gospel, Paul says, cuts between the truth and paganism. But we have to remember that Satan and his devils learn. They're not omniscient beings. They study, they watch, they monitor, they learn. That means they are improving their deceptions. Satan was very good at deception in Genesis 3 at the beginning. He's only gotten better. They're studying us. They're watching us. I just heard of another life that they said was ruined by a mega church up in Northern California. Very popular for their music. Very popular on social media. And it absolutely devastated their life. You see, demons, they they study the power of sound. They study and monitor our susceptibility to sentimentalities. They watch how powerful effect music has on us. And they influence this, guys. I'm not being eebie-jeebie weirdo. This is the reality. Now, if we think that, as he's saying, those who say... Or those who say, no, no, one, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is a curse. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Do we, do we think that this is really just what people say? This isn't just what people are saying out their mouth. Okay, This is deeper. It's more abiding. And the point is, is this. If Jesus is the Lord of a person... If by their confession, they say, Jesus is my Lord, he's my master, he's my king, he's Yahweh, he's God, it shows up in their life. It shows up in their life. If Jesus is just a careless word to them, like people swear on the streets, that also shows up in their life. And hypnotic music and feelings and you know, these, most of what American churches call worship services are really sheer demonstration of, of, of carnality. They use tactics that the world uses, flashing lights, rhythmic music, ambiance, to put you in a trance-like state. I'm not saying that you're zombified, but there's an effect that it has in order to incur an emotional response. And that is not evidence that Jesus is king of your life. 
the Holy Spirit brings belief based on truth, repentance, obedience, the fruit of the Spirit. Verses 4 to 6. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. And there are varieties of workings, but the same God who works everything in everyone. Did you hear that? Read the repeated words. Those are always a clue. Those are textual clues. You follow the clues. You find out what Paul's saying. What is repeated? What is the same? What is varied? You have varieties of gifts, of ministries, of workings. You have the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. What's the same? The same Lord, the same spirit, the same God. What's various? The gifts, the ministries, the workings. Therefore, what is critical? What is key? What is foundational? The Trinity. The Trinity. God. The Holy Spirit. That's the same spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ, that's the Lord. And God the Father, that's the Trinity, explicitly there. What's secondary? What's very important, but less important than God? What your and my gift is. What our ministry is. What our individual workings are. Now, in the average church, you talk to the average Christian, we get these mixed up. We obsess over, what, what's my gift? What's my talent? What's my contribution? What's my ministry? What's, what am I doing? And if we would just focus more on worshiping God, loving God, loving God's people, these things would spring up as a byproduct. They would happen to and through us if we worried less about them and worried more about the God that we're serving. They are undeserved gifts. Do you notice that? Gifts are undeserved. Gifts are things given by grace. They are extroverted ministries. I say that as an introvert. I get energy from being alone, but none of the spiritual gifts can we do alone. You do these extrovertedly to one another. They have to be directed to people. And difficult workings. Did you notice that? It's hard work, isn't it? They are ministries or services from the Lord. They're marching orders that prove our master owns us, that King Jesus rules us. They're signs of happy slavery, which, which moves us from having a gift to being a gift to other people. See, that's what our concern needs to be. I want to be a gift to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you a child of God? Are you born from above, gifted by the Holy Spirit? Paul is, is piling on Trinitarian language here to say, it's not just gifts from the Spirit. We shouldn't just speak about, oh, he's so gifted. Oh, she's so gifted. If you're gifted by the Holy Spirit as a child of God, then do you realize that you are obligated by the King? You're under obligation. How many of us are willing to do that? I can't remember the last time that I heard Christians say about a preacher who sat down after a sermon, boy, he's so obligated. And you know what? That's actually biblical language, not just here. Paul says in Romans 1, we read it as leaders on Sunday, I'm obligated to preach the gospel. Oh, the church would get so much more healthy if we thought so much less about, oh, he or she is so gifted and thought more about, oh, how obligated we are. How privileged we are to be able to serve God in this way. Gifts are activities of God. They're, they're workings of God. In other words, they aren't you. They're God. They're outworkings of God. They're God at work. God stimulating and energizing the spiritual desire and the spiritual power to love God's people. It's all God. It's God working through us to us, to one another. Gifts are the fruit of love which come from sharing in the triune God. Now, 
The gifts are fruit from abiding in the vine. Do you ever see a tree eating its own fruit? We don't, presu- we don't produce fruit for ourselves. It's entirely and exclusively for one another. There's no cannibalism in spiritual giftedness. Spiritual gifts are not for us to look in the mirror and say, Wow, this is great. I mean, thank you, Lord. It's for you. Now, where does all all of this go wrong? Well, I think one of the massive dangers that we've seen as a culture with all of this obsession over personality types and everything is that we end up conforming ourselves into our own image. We're so obsessed about what I, what my personality type is. And we read up on my personality type. And I think so much about my personality type. I say this as someone that's been very interested in this case. So I'm not speaking hypocritically here. I see how interesting, how fascinating it is. And I begin to think like, I just begin to think me-centered thoughts. I'm at the center of my universe. It's all about my personality type, my spiritual gift inventory test, my personal significance. And I'm neglecting our love by the unity, as Paul says in the Spirit. The unity in Christ. The unity in the Father. This is a miracle that he's given us. It's all from God. By God's power, for God's glory, the triune God. Point two, spiritual gifts are various. They're various. They're very different. Verses seven to 10. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for what is profitable. Is a spiritual gift for your or my self-esteem? Absolutely not. Should we be drawing focus to ourselves? Absolutely not. God gives us each a display of himself. God is displaying himself through our gifts that he's given us. There's too much of God for any one of us to contain. And so God is pleased to make the whole church his fullness. What is your gift? Well, what should be the answer for all of us? My gift, everyone in the room can say this, who's a born-again believer, who's a child of God, everyone can say this. My gift is a revelation, an exhibition of the Holy Spirit of God, whether it's a word gift or a service gift. It's an exposition of God. It's an exhibition of God. It's a revealing of God. John three thirty four. Jesus said, he gives, God gives the Spirit Without measure. Now watch this. Ephesians 4 verse 7. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Woe. Which is without measure. Infinite. We are this display. We, we are Christ's expo of God on planet earth. This is it, folks. They aren't going to find it out there in the world. They're not finding it on YouTube, on social media. They're not finding it at at, at the best, sweetest fellowships that they can find. The church alone is the expo of God in the world. This is it. You don't find God anywhere else outside the people of God who are the fullness of God. Where you find the people of God, there you find God. This is how he's designed it. This is how he's pleased for it to happen. Now think about this. Who is Christ? I remember one person said it this way. Christ is God in a bod. Okay, Christ is God in a body. And we are, verse 27 of this chapter, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. For what profit? What's the common good? Ephesians 4 makes really clear. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Watch this. There's probably every spiritual gift represented in this room. There's word gifts, there's service gifts, there's all kinds of gifts. Every single one of our gifts 
is to build up the body of Christ so that all of us attain to a unity of the faith. We all agree on what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. We, we agree on doctrine to the full knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but speaking the truth In love. Notice this. Even service gifted people are speaking the truth in love. Even those who are serving or leading or showing acts of mercy or giving are doing so speaking the truth. Truthing in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. From whom the whole body being joined and held together by what every joint supplies according to the properly measured working of every individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. If one organ gets sick, the entire body gets sick. This is how he's designed it. And if we've got a sick church, we've got a sick evangelist to a lost and dying world. You understand? I remember being up at Hume Lake and I was, I, was, I was counseling in high school at the time and we shared this massive cabin with this other church. And not to, not to speak ill of the church, I probably couldn't even remember what the name of the church was. It wasn't in this specific town. It was in the Central Valley. And this pastor said, the church exists, and by what this he meant, the church meeting on Sunday mornings exists for the unbeliever. I went, oh, you don't get it. The church together, here, tonight, together, this exists for the building up of the body so that we together are a clear testimony, a proclamating testimony to a lost and dying world. That's how we evangelize. We build up the body here, and the body just radiates out there. But if we neglect this, that completely vanishes. Now, is that what the Corinthians were concerned about? They were messed up, weren't they? They are saying... Anyone can teach. You can learn to teach. Any one of you spend enough time learning the fundamentals of the faith and you could go teach Sunday school or junior high or high school eventually or peers or onwards. Anyone can organize. Come on, you could learn that ability. Anyone can encourage. Anyone could give. Anyone could show mercy. Anyone could serve. Come on, those aren't supernatural. Let's get real serious about the supernatural gifts. Anyone can learn those, but how many can eloquently speak lofty things? Ah, see, that's a special one. How many can work mystifying miracles? Oh, you see, how many can master languages, tongues, and the interpretation of them? Does that sound like saved slaves who are just eager to be used by the king that bought him, bought them with his blood? No. Sounds like a competition. Sounds like a talent show. Sounds like sixth grade. How does the Holy Spirit rebuke this church through Paul? One word given. 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 It's a backhanded encouragement. It's a real encouragement, but it's one that's meant to rebuke them. Given. Everything we have is given given. These gifts are given by God to you. They're given to you. What do you have that you have not received? And if you've received it, why are you acting like you did not receive it? You're acting like you earned it, like you developed it, like you nurtured it, like you deserve it. So each gift, notice this, each gift is gospel. Each gift is gospel. I'm going to group them together in three groups. Group number one, In verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Both of these are speaking gifts to state God's mind on life. 
By the way, wisdom has already been defined as Christ himself. Christ himself, chapter one, go read all about it of this book. Christ himself is the wisdom of God, specifically the wisdom of God crucified at Calvary. This is God's wise plan to save sinners. The wisdom of God. You have, you can't claim that you have the word of wisdom if you're not preeminently preoccupied with the gospel of Christ crucified. Don't tell me you've got a word of wisdom. Don't tell me that you fear the Lord. Chapter 1 is very clear that this word of wisdom calls us to fear God and to live practically in the shadow of the cross, in the light of the gospel. This is the kind of person I think of when I think of Paul David Tripp or the, 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 the resounding biblical counselor. They know God's word, they study God's word, they're saturated in God's word, but they're doing it for the sake of bearing out how we live practically under God's word. The word of knowledge quickly grasps deep theological truths and unearths them and explains them in ways that we just go, ah, yes, and they defend the gospel. Word of knowledge, folks, help us separate the facts from our feelings. They're usually more inclined to to write or or speak. They're they're people like J.I. Packer. I'm naming names for you to go and investigate and learn and and benefit from these people. J.I. Packer is not particularly a preacher. He's not particularly some some great uh, orator. But boy, we benefit from his written word. Now, both of these gifts, they they study the word of God. They study the word of God. They, They think about the word of God. They pray in the word of God. They prepare to share the word of God. Notice that the Holy Spirit that empowers the gifts in people never neglects the word of God. He didn't inspire the scripture just for you to ignore it. Just trying to channel some gift. All the gifts are nourished. They feed on the word of God. All of them. No exceptions. The second group, verses 9 to 10. To someone else, faith by the same spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. And to another, the works of miracles. Okay, so we should have an obvious question here. Don't all Christians have faith? How is this a special gift? Definitely. All Christians have saving, justifying faith. So what is this special faith? This is a particular gift that Paul lists. It seems that it is a supernatural certainty that God will act in a special way at a specific time. These again are people who study the word of God. They're confident in God's power. They've learned who God is and then they pray knowing that God is good and he's merciful and they inspire us to join in their praying. I think of George Mueller. George Mueller, by prayer alone, saw Britain just showered in orphanages, caring for the fatherless. On one occasion, they sat around the table and he just prayed. He didn't ask anyone for money. He just prayed. He just prayed. He just prayed and God provided and provided and provided. On one occasion, he's sitting at an orphanage. I'm going to get the details of this wrong. The main point, I'm going to nail, okay? They're sitting at this orphanage. They don't have enough food. They don't have enough food. He says, we're, we're going to go to the Lord. We're going to do what we do every time. We're going to go to the Lord. I believe the Lord. He provides for his children. He tells us to ask whatever we need according to his name. And we're doing the Lord's work here. There's no doubt about it. We're going to ask the Lord. A milk truck breaks down outside the building, knocks on the door, says, listen, all this, all this milk and bread's going to go to waste. It's going to go bad. I can't, I can't just sit here. They said, hey, we just prayed for you to arrive. And they, they ate. Just amazing stuff. This is the gift of faith. If any of you know of, of a prayer warrior, do you, you know people that, that others call prayer warriors. This is typically associated with this gift. But what's this, what's this healing gift? What in the world is this healing gift? The word is rare. It's so rare that it's only found in this chapter of scripture, nowhere else in the Bible. And the word gifts of healing, it's plural. So there's something going on here 
That's unique. It's not like the other gifts. There's gifts of healing. They're, they're manifold gifts. And it seems that these individuals, God has uniquely enabled to identify both medically and, in some occasions, miraculously, to cure ailments. Cure ailments, sudden ailments, gradual ailments, physical ailments, mental ailments, and their ministry, just like word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, their ministry is preeminently to remind us of the hope and the resurrection as promised in the gospel. Their care is mainly for souls, not mainly for bodies and brains, for souls. And the Lord sometimes does miraculous things. We are not a charismatic church here at Trinity Community Church. We believe that God does the miraculous around the globe all day long, every day of the year. We're going to get more to that here in a second. Sometimes, notice this, the liars who say, well, you don't have enough faith, that's why you weren't healed. Can you say that to the Apostle Paul? Because he asked the Lord, would you take this thorn out of my flesh, this ailment that I'm suffering? And what was God's response? You don't have enough faith. You're not going to be healed. Apostle Paul, for crying out loud. The Lord said, no, in this case, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is going to be made perfect in your weakness. Now think about Timothy. He comes with an upset stomach. And Paul doesn't say, you don't have enough faith, Timothy. He says, drink a little wine, for crying out loud. It'll settle your stomach. I know, I know, okay? I meant it, it's there. And to another young man, he said, get some sleep. That's why you've got these problems. Tell them the rest for crying out loud. Okay? So both medicinal and miraculous healing. What about miracles, though? Miracles, literally, in Greek, it's the energizings of power. The energizings of power. Now, notice, all the gifts are miraculous. All the gifts are supernatural, but there's something about this particular gift that's just uniquely and undeniably unstoppable. Now, notice, Paul only uses the word power in this book with reference to the gospel. Again, and again, and again, the gifts are about the gospel. These, these were gifted with, with, the, with the ability from God to display the gospel's invincible power. You think of, of, of the gospel's invincible power against magicians in some case, or just hypocrites who were lying and, and the truth was, was revealed miraculously. These, these unavoidable, undeniable acts of God's power and mercy in specific instances. Now, really quickly, something fun to think about when it comes to miracles, just to show how, how we totally misperceive what a miracle is. Natural laws of physics are supernatural laws. And miracles are just God upholding the universe a little bit differently in one place than he usually does. We look at it and we say, oh, Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus is sitting there going, the liquid wouldn't have existed if I wasn't willing its existence big deal that I turn it from water to grape juice. I mean, come on. You think that's difficult? So, so God is every second, every molecule, every subatomic particle in this room and in the universe, everything that exists, exists miraculously by God's willing it to exist all the time. It's an ongoing miracle. We just get so used to the constants, the constancy, the faithfulness of God that we forget that every living second is a miracle. What you and I call miracles are God doing what he always does just a little bit differently in one specific spot than he usually does. It's amazing, isn't it? I have examples of that, but I'm not going to waste your time. Okay, I'll do it. Suspending gravity. Who's the one that keeps gravity working? Who's the one that wills gravity? If he suspends gravity and Jesus flies, okay, there you go. Tightening the surface tension of water. He's the one that causes it to have the surface tension that it does. If he tightens it up a little bit so Jesus walks on water, 
okay. It's what God does. What's that to God? Third group, verse 10. To another, prophecy, and to another, distinguishing of spirits. To someone else, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the translation of tongues. Now, prophecy is never in Scripture primarily foretelling. It's never telling the future primarily. Prophecy is always, from Old Testament to New Testament, primarily forthtelling. Speaking what was already in God's word. If you read the prophets of the Old Testament, the vast majority of what they're doing is calling the people of God to hear, listen, and obey to what God had already written in the Bible. What God had already written in the law. It's recalling God's past faithfulness. Recalling God's future promises to gospel us in the present moment. That's what prophecy is. On some occasions, there were those in the early church, as I've already explained in previous messages, and we'll see a little bit more, where God was still compiling the Bible, so he was speaking by the Spirit through spokesmen in the churches so that they would have a robust Christology, so that the churches would know theology because they didn't have Romans. They didn't have First and Second, Third John. They didn't have Revelation. They didn't have Peter, First and Second. They didn't have Paul's epistles. The Corinthians probably had just a few books. They didn't have a single gospel yet. That's just amazing, isn't it? They didn't have John. They didn't have Matthew. No Luke. No Mark. Maybe James. Maybe one or two Thessalonians. Maybe. And so God was speaking through people at this time in an unprecedented way. Uh, Chapter 14, verses 1 to 5 Paul says, pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. That's weird. One who prophesies speaks to men, here it is, for edification and exhortation and encouragement. That's telling us primarily what the prophetic gift was. It was to edify, to build the church up in doctrine. It was to exhort, to call God's people to act in light of truth. It was to encourage, to comfort, to to gird up God's people. How sick is it that typically when you hear prophecy, we've been so culturally conditioned to think, oh, it's someone that's like, has a word from the Lord. It's not what we have in Scripture. Do you know that based on scripture, if someone claims to be a prophet and they say they have a word from the Lord and that word from the Lord contradicts scripture or proves false, they are what the Bible calls a false prophet. The punishment for which in the Old Testament was stoning. The punishment for which in the New Testament is excommunication unless they repent. And we've got that flying all over the place on social media. And we're, we're drinking it in. What are we doing? One who prophesies edifies the church so that the church may receive edification, Paul says. Prophecy is, is very similar to preaching. It's like preaching. Chapter 13, verse 9, each of us, each of us, notice this, each of us. See, here's something that defines prophecy for us. Each of us, Paul says, knows in part and prophesies in part. All of us. Why? Because we know the word of God and we speak it to one another to edify them, to exhort them, to encourage them. We're all doing that. Now, what's the gift of distinguishing spirits? First John 4, if you want to spend time reading, is very helpful in your small groups. First John 4, it's discerning truth, it's detecting error, it's identifying false teachers. Again, it's guarding the gospel. All of these are about the gospel. Now, we're going to save the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues uh, until we get to chapter 14. However, I'm going to say this very boldly, Acts 2 says very explicitly that there are human languages. Acts 2, here we go. And when this sound occurred of the apostles speaking in tongues, the multitude came together, thousands of people, and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So they were astounded and marveling, saying, Behold, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? 
And how is it that we each hear them in our own language in which we were born? Not an angel language, not some weird prayer language, actual languages that people understood as the language they were brought up in. 3,000 people, as a result, that day, heard the gospel and repented. Tongues are for the gospel. It is so perverted, it is so twisted, what's happening out there where people are yabba-dabba-doing and no one's hearing the gospel. People don't know what's being said. They're rolling over, they're saying things that are unintelligible, and that's not. That, that's exactly what Paul is confronting in the Corinthian church. Third point, it's very brief. Verses 11 to 14. Spiritual gifts are for oneness. But one and the same spirit works all these things. Distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Do you see what room is there for superiority or inferiority? I'm telling you this. As a man that gets up and preaches in the pulpit and stuff, I get a lot of attention compared to other people in the church. And I thank God. Thank God. It's hard, but I thank God that he is constantly bringing me to my knees. I am so aware that I love the Lord so much less than most of the people in this church. And I am here to serve those people. I have the privilege of going deep into God's word and excavating the mine of God's word because there are so many people in this church that love God way more than me and don't get the time to do that. They need me to serve them in love. They they need me to bring Christ out of the, the depths of the mountain of God's word. They need to hear Christ. They need to hear the gospel. God's endowed you with gifts to serve one another in love. And if you're not doing it, then the body is sick. And if the body is sick, the evangelist is sick. We need the church to be healthy. God has gifted you as he wills. He's pleased, in other words. You're gifted by an omniscient God. You're gifted by an omnipotent God. We have what I believe is a combination of gifts that are tailor-made, custom-fit for us until there are millions that exemplify how Christ Jesus speaks and serves. That's what it's all about. Now, if we lack maturity as a church, if we lack maturity as a group, if we lack maturity in fellowship, it's because we need you to serve us in love by the way God has gifted you. Are you doing that? Or are you just coming, attending? Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, no one's tapped me on the shoulder and asked me, it's your obligation. It's your marching orders to come and tell us, I, 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 think, I think I'd like to do this. I think I'd like to serve God's people in this way. Don't know if I'm gifted at it, but I sure would like to try. I want to serve. That's how you find out how you're gifted. There's a need. I want to meet that need. So many people, they see needs and then they go home and they complain, oh, I wish the church would do this. Oh, I wish the church would do that. You are the church. If the Lord's putting it on your heart, if you're seeing it and you care about it, guess who the Lord's calling to do it? Most likely. Verses 12 to 14, for even as the body is one, one body and yet has many members, that's body parts, and all the body parts of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. This is a way he operates. For also by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We were were baptized into Christ. We're all in Christ. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. For also, the body is not one member, not one body part. It's not just the tongue. Not just the ears, not just the fingers, not just the toes, not just the knees. But many body parts. 
It's one of the dangers of social media and YouTube. So we get the sense that the church is a really dynamic speaker and a bunch of people sitting there listening to him. That's not what the church is. I'm here to teach. I'm here to preach. And this is my service to you for like 30 minutes a week. That's nothing. Do you understand so many of you, so many of you, if not all of you, if you take this seriously, you get to serve the Lord in far greater ways. You give more time to it. And the Lord's going to reveal those who were motivated by his glory and who did things by for his glory, for his people that he loves. And I have no doubt. I have every hope that every one of you take that more seriously than I do so that I can applaud when we enter glory and say, yeah, they were more faithful than I was. I just got to speak to them. The same spirit who preached through Spurgeon and Calvin preaches through that pulpit. The same spirit that led through Luther and Wilberforce leads through some of you. The same spirit that encouraged through Barnabas encourages through some of you. The same spirit that prayed with faith through Mueller or councils through Sibs operates in you. The same spirit. What are we doing? Let's stop wasting time. Let's beg the Lord to work through us. We pray it. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name as we fellowship together and discuss them seriously. We ask, Father, that you would move in us to act, to serve one another in love so that the church is healthy, a healthy evangelist to a lost and dying world. We pray it for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. And if you're interested in a great Bible college here in the area, check out calchristiancollege.edu. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.